Thanks for joining the Three Dad of Bods podcast. Today we discuss the Nashville school shooting and one of our friends, Officer Mark Atkinson of the Phoenix Police Department, who passed away in the line of duty. The Nashville shooting just reminded us how precious and how sudden tragic loss can be and what happens when we are left to cope with the lo- our loved one's loss. Brett and I discussed the shooting, the reaction of the Nashville Police Department, and our own loss when our friend was lost in the line of duty. Today's podcast may be a little more somber, but hopefully it reminds us all of what is important when this type of event occurs in our communities. So sit back and listen to Three Dads podcast today. Hey everybody, welcome to Three Dad Bods. I'm Brent Whitley with Carl Kristen. Um, got two of the Three Dad Bods here again. Yeah. Happy week to you. How you doing, man? Well, just getting over a pretty nasty cold, so sorry if, if um, I might sound a little f- scratchy to some of you. You we'll got try to that, make it sound um, as good as possible. <laughs> you have that smoking one pack a day Marge sound about your voice there. Yep, five packs a day. <laughs> that's what it does. <laughs> <laughs> so before we kick it off again, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but how you been with your transformation challenge here oh a lot better um kind of the cold kind of created a necessity in a sense i've been drinking a ton of water that's good so yeah pineapple juice and tabasco juice and salt Tabasco juice (laughs) anything to try to clear this up it's been it's a real nasty virus (laughs) Is is it a virus is that what you got you got the yeah, it's not COVID. It's not COVID. There's no <laughs> fever. It's just I couldn't talk from literally Thursday until last night, until this morning. So this is the first time I've been able to communicate since so, you know, if, Wednesday. If we were in 2020, nobody would be able to listen to this podcast because you would have become infected by COVID just by listening to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Here. Not everything nasty is COVID, man. So <laughs> at this point. This podcast is great. All right. So, so how's your how's your week go? Um, you know, it's a uh I'll say it's it's an interesting week to say the least. Um started off this week with an absolute tragedy, you know, and I'm sure everybody yeah. heard about the the school shooting here in Nashville. Um terrible. Yeah, a- absolutely terrible. Um it's it's sad that somebody woke with the intention to end the life of a poor nine-year-old child. Um, How somebody gets to that point is just absolutely mind-boggling. There's got to be some emotional, psychological reasons, but yeah, it's terrible. one One thing about the city of Nashville, though, that I will say is it is a very, very strong community. Um, We don't, put up with the outside media noise, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of people were upset about the miscategorization of, of the shooter and stuff, but we don't care about stuff like that. A mentally ill person went in and killed six people, whether man, woman, dog, bird, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it happened. Um, and then, uh, Friday, no. Yeah. Friday night. Um, some huge storms hit the south. Oh yeah, area some here. major tornadoes. And, uh, yeah, and there was one that touched down. It was about 
probably about 20, 25 miles south of here. Um, one thing, and, and I get asked this all the time about Nashville, you know, how can you, you know, live with all them tornadoes and, and all that? And the thing about Nashville is it's a very, very hilly area. There's a lot of mountains that are inside Nashville. It's, it's not a flat area. So what we find is a lot of tornadoes will come across, they'll come across Memphis, they'll come this way. But then the winds hit the hills and it kind of breaks everything down. And so it kind of jumps over Nashville and then it'll start back up probably about 40, 50 miles east of here. Now, that's not to say that we don't get Nash tornadoes here in Nashville because when we do, they're they're big. And <laughs> I, I, how's the, I've always wanted to ask you this. What's the closest you've ever been to a real tornado? Uh, one mile. There? One mile. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, the first spring that we moved here, this was April of 2006, I was driving home from work. Now, you got to remember, we're Utahns. <laughs> we know nothing about this at all. Um, we're hearing all the alerts. Um, and so very nervous, you know, not sure what to do. My parents were here, I remember. And um, I was driving home from my office and I was looking north and the sky was, it was like nighttime. It was the middle yeah, of the day yeah. and north, it, it looked like midnight straight north. And so wow. I was driving home and I come up over this ridge and I'm, I'm talking to Tracy and I'm like, hey, baby, you know, I, I think we're going to be okay. It looks like we're just south of everything. We, we should be fine. I didn't realize this. Most tornadoes happen on the south end of storms. <laughs> so, Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that either. So I, I turn on to our street. I get off the phone with her. I'm about a mile from our place. And I'm going past. We, we have a, it's called Church of the Nazarene. It's, it's on our street heading up towards our place. I look to the left and out of the sky, I see the funnel cloud come down. Hopefully, and I, was like, I was like, oh, my God, that's that's a tornado. <laughs> you know, uh, like uh, literally looked at a tornado come down and the car in front of me stopped. He saw the same thing that I did. So I honked my horn. He took off. I took off. There was I, I come around the corner to our house and um, I opened up the garage and there were there were two people that were running to a house across the street. And I yelled at them. I said, get in our garage, hop in our garage. So they got in our garage. We pulled our kids in our garage, put my parents down in the garage because our, our garage is uh -huh. below our house. And then I grabbed my wife and I'm like, hey, let's go watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> like idiots, yeah. we came out onto our back porch where I am right now. And um, we watched it. Like I looked directly east and we could see the tornado moving across oh, and wow. one thing i remember is that it was deathly silent no birds yeah. no animals no nothing completely silent oh they got out of there yeah they're smart not like you they did yeah. <laughs> they did the second <laughs> thing i remember is i looked up in the air and i was i saw this thing up in the air now down the road from us they were building a new uh grocery store down there and I looked up in the air and I realized that was the porta potty <laughs> spinning around <laughs> in the sky up above us, going oh around gosh. literally in a circle. So, yeah, <laughs> that tornado ended up destroying 1,100 homes.
um, it was really incredible to watch what the power that nature has. Nobody has power like nature has. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, it's absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, nature, nature's pretty powerful. Let's 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 go back a little bit though. When you were talking about that um, shooting in Nashville, yeah. one thing that really impressed me was I, <clears throat> excuse me, I watched a video that was played the next day when the police went into the, the school. The professionalism. Uh, the speed in which they got to the shooter really impressed me with the local PD. Yeah. And that reminded me of uh, uh, someone we know and, uh, and just the fact that uh, these, these guys put their lives and, and women put their lives in the line of fire. Literally. Uh, it's just amazing to me. I mean, I could feel my heart beating as I was watching that video. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. What was your What were your thoughts about that? Um. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You know, uh, from the time that the 911 call went out until the time that they put the body down was 14 minutes. Um, from the time that they put their vest on and got their equipment to the time they put the body down was about eight minutes. Um, a couple things that really stood out to me. First of all, as they entered the building, there was a school employee that was outside that gave incredibly pertinent information as to what was going on, where it was going on. Without that assistance, it, it could have definitely taken longer. You know, you, you got to remember these are officers going into a situation. You know, we know all the details now. They, they don't know the details then. Going into a situation, absolutely, into a building that you have no idea of the map layout or anything like that on, and not being aware of what you're going to see, what you're up against, how many people, you know. And so unlike, we all know the tragedy that happened in in Texas, um, where they waited outside, just continually waited and waited and waited. They they did not wait. There, There was only one thought on these officers mind and that was to stop the situation as quickly as possible um they they absolutely need to be commended for what they did i i don't know if you noticed this but one of the things i noticed and i'm sure these this is something that they're probably going over in their head is one of the doors going upstairs was locked and so they had to go to another entrance to go upstairs and then you hear gunshots and then they, they attack the scene and, and put an end to the situation. But I imagine right now they're probably thinking in their head, if they could have gone up those original flight of stairs, maybe they could have saved one or two lives. You know, I, I, I think that's yeah. probably the thought going in their head. But the the act and, and motions and the way that they pursued the situation was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, yeah, and you think, and and this is this is what I was thinking at the time. I walk into work, I never have to worry about being shot at. I get a paycheck every two weeks. You know, I have a family at home. So are these guys. They're yeah. walking into a building with very minimal armor on. I mean, those guys had maybe a bulletproof vest on. Um, they were very open. In other words, if, if, if the shooter had let loose or, you know, a series of shots at them, they could have easily been hit and killed. And, uh, 
the thoughts I had when I was watching that was these kids may or may not have had any, you know, connection with these officers, but they didn't care. They just went right in, did their job exactly the way they were supposed to and dispatched the shooter. I mean, it was pretty, I mean, amazing display of professional police work and, and Nashville PD should be commended for that. I mean, getting a medal for that for sure. Well, and, and let me add a couple other things too. It is the most scrutinized job that there is. It is the yeah. only job where you are monitored with a video 24 hours a day with every motion and every move that you make. And it is a job that, you know, a week or two before this, these officers were denied a pay increase. They were denied money that goes towards recruiting. Um, and so oh, it's, I had it's no a, idea. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a profession that is constantly being reduced in in funds and when that happens um the the city of memphis is a good example of this because i think we all understand what happened a few weeks ago with the terrible situation that's there but the city of memphis recruits police officers not the police force the city so you have Mm. politicians that are screening people they don't know what to look for They don't know how to identify things. And so now you get those who are becoming police officers. You're going to find people who probably should not have been where the city of Nashville uses their police academy and the police department to screen officers. And that's why is it so different? It's a tale of two cities. And, And you're seeing the Memphis diagram more and more across the country you're seeing the defunding of police officers you're seeing a push to have so i mean can you imagine if a social worker went into this situation like a lot of people were you would have had 200 dead children 40 dead adults and one dead social worker yeah exactly so it's it's taking away from good men and women who did their jobs very well but has been politicized and listen i'll be honest there there are there are some situations where what had happened should not have happened but you find that in every job profession you find individuals who are corrupt um and and yes that that is there but i think the focus should have been on identifying and focusing on how to eliminate the corruption let's pay police officers firemen, teachers, a higher salary for one of the toughest, for the toughest positions in the world. And and let's clean things up, you know? You know what's made me kind of sad is watching the aftermath. Of course, you got one side that wants to blame guns, and then you have another side immediately that wants to blame the um, sexual orientation of the shooter. What about the victims? What yeah. about the people, the families? Why can't we, why can't we have like a three or five day period of time where we all kind of agree to park our biases and focus on those families and helping them and those police officers when they get involved in something like that? I mean, it's appalling that our country wants to tear itself apart after every one of these shootings. It's incredibly disgusting. It is. 
Um, you have a poor nine-year-old girl who was reaching up to hit the alarm to make everybody alert of the situation, and she lost her life. Wow. We're we're talking nine-year-old children. Um, And what gets lost, I think what is lost in today's society is holding people accountable for their actions. We don't Mm -hmm. do that anymore. We give people excuses for doing what they did. Um, I had a conversation with with somebody the other day, and and I said, you know, that's the problem with your generation is I feel that they refuse to hold people accountable. And this person said, well, yeah, we do. We, we always do. What, what are you talking about? And I said, I'll give you an example. In a school shooting, what do you blame? And it was quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. We, we focused on the tool rather than the person itself. It, it wasn't a weapon or anything that killed these children. It was a person, a human being another human mm-hmm. being that did this and obviously had problems uh, i mean yeah i don't i mean you could blame i guess you could blame politics to uh, to a certain extent but anybody that would walk into a school and shoot innocent little kids there's something wrong with them we gotta get better to blame on the person the person themselves yeah. and, and yeah. i would i w- wish i agree with what you said i I wish that in a circumstance like this, we'd never, ever talked about the person who committed the crime. I wish that Mm. for, like you said, three days, all we talked about were the individuals that lost their lives and their families. And that should be the focus of the whole entire thing. And then as details come out, that's fine. But let's go back and study the details and find out, all right, what traits did this person show? What characteristics? What what red flags went up to be able to stop and prevent this from happening again? Well, believe it or not, the media, the mainstream media has kind of, um, you know, moved to the next subject at hand. Um, so we're not hearing much no. about Trump what was arrested. The, it's amazing how we suddenly forget. Yeah, Let's throw yeah, this out there now. Let's take their uh, eyes off yeah. of it. <laughs> well, what I was going to ask you with the shooters, I heard a rumor that, the father of this disturbed individual had communicated to social services in the community that there was a problem and that she was getting guns. And for some reason or another, we don't have the ability to stop someone like that. Can you comment on that? Did you see anything in the media locally that would have expanded on that? The only thing I, first of all, I I didn't hear that. So that's the first Uh, time that I've heard that. Okay. What I did see was a text message that she had sent to her friend stating, I I cannot live anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm ending my life today. You're probably going to hear about it on the news. Wow. Um, That's a trigger. Call 911, get help immediately. Get this person back on the phone, do whatever it takes, you know, and, and track her down. Listen, look, everybody, in hindsight, it's easy to say these things now because we it's already happened. But in a time and a situation, it's it's a different story. It's 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 a different timeline. It's it's a different wave, you know, and um it's 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 just tragedy is is what it is. And it's a tragedy that keeps happening. Um 
every time it happens, it just feels like that we try and get torn more and more apart from each other instead of really, I have anybody yet to hear, sit down and talk about real solutions. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you You mentioned a good point about Nashville reacting in an incredible way. I experienced something similar when a friend of ours passed away um, when we were down in Phoenix. Um, and, you know, we, we were talking about this episode for a while because he was a good friend of ours when we grew up in that neighborhood on trail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talk about him every year. Uh, why don't, why don't you go through what happened to him that day and maybe even start a little bit before how he met Karen and his wife and, you know, how he moved down to Phoenix, what, what kind of spurred that. And then also, uh, what led up to that fateful day and then describe the day for us. And then I'll talk a little bit about the funeral, um, when we, when we get to that point. Yeah. So on March 26th, uh, 1999, um, our, our good friend, Mark Atkinson was taken from us. He was a police officer for the Phoenix police department. Um, he was, he was following suspects, um, part of a Mexican drug cartel. Um, mm-hmm. what he was staking out a, a location where they were, he was with another officer at the time. Um, that officer got called onto another emergency and it left the scene. And so, um, Mark was there continuing to watch. Um, he oh, saw I didn't know that about the other officer. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, uh, this, these group of of men left this building they took off mark began pursuit um i don't know how far they went what i know is that they went into a warehouse district they had stopped their cars a couple turns and stuff like that in there and so when mark came around the corner they were there waiting for him and they basically lit up his car and and mark was killed on site um i I don't know if you remember, Carl, but that day that we all came down, there was a vigil that was at that site where it happened. I do. I do. It was a huge vigil. Yeah, it, it, it mean, was. And uh, and the city of Phoenix really came together and embraced oh, the situation. Um, yeah. There were leaders from the... Hispanic community that stepped up condoning what had happened. There were several, several people that came together in, in a group as a city and came together. So, um, you know, it, it was a, a tragedy, but it was, it, it truly became an event, you know, well, there were two other there were two other uh, officers gone down that same year in Phoenix, mm-hmm. from what I remember. Shortly after, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, since that time, he's got a middle school named after him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. I, I went back in 2009 uh, on March 26th just to, I guess, commemorate 20 years. From oh, wow. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Okay. And, and I went and, and visited the site where it happened. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just kind of you know, went to his, his burial place and just kind of sat and talked. And every year, you know, I, I, I think about that day. Um, I don't get upset about what had happened per se. I mean, obviously saddened and and heartbroken about what had happened. And, And I think about, you know, 29 years of, of memories that we had. I, I think, you know, he's, he's 29 years old. He uh, actually was 28 years old, married with a beautiful wife, um, one six month old child. His wife, yeah. Aaron is, is absolutely one of the most strongest people I have ever met to go through a tragedy like this as a nurse in a hospital. The, the strength and courage that she showed and continues to show t- through this day is absolutely amazing. But have you, ha, let, let me ask you, have you, um, have you talked to his son or yeah. how old is his son now? His son is uh 20. Well, he was six months old at that time. So he'd be 23 now. 23. Yeah. He's okay. uh, same age as, as my daughter. My, my wife was about six months, seven months pregnant at the time. So, with our firstborn, okay. but I, the thing that I get most upset about is we've been robbed. We were taken of 23 years of memories now that I could have had with him. 23 years yeah. of, of beach trips, 23 years of going to visit, 23 years of him coming out, 23 years of being families together and stuff. Was, that was taken. You know, I I don't have that place in in my thoughts and memories i have 28 years of memories that i will never ever forget but you know 23 years of 20 actually coming up now 24 years i apologize of missed times together and now his shooter his shooter went to prison right Yes, life sentence. And he got has he re- recently been released? No, he is not. You know? They uh they've had some parole hear- hearings. Okay. Um to be released. I believe this last one his son attended. By the way, also mm-hmm. when his son graduated high school, the Phoenix Police Department came out. Did they really? Wow. Um, that was a tremendous sign of respect because his father wasn't there for that but they were there for him and um i i can't say enough on how much the phoenix police department has done for for his family um and and commemorating and, and uh remembering who mark was you know the blue line gets a bad reputation unfortunately because of uh what's happened the last few years with the uh, BLM protests. But 
I think they aren't recognized for the quiet things they do like that. Um, I mean, one of the impressive things I saw too at his funeral was just the community as well. The incredible turnout for his funeral, um, the flyover at the, at the cemetery. Um, I mean, it was as I, I've been to military funerals and I think this was, a bigger deal to the city of Phoenix than, uh, you know, some of the military funerals I've been at. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, it was, I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and, and haven't seen anything like it since. So, um, I, I have to admit, I was really impressed with the city of Phoenix that day. So if anybody has attended a funeral service for a fallen police officer, um, at the very end, there is a PA announcement. I don't know if you remember this from 911 yeah. from the police uh, dispatch, yeah. uh, yeah. which is an end of duty. That's sad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I can still remember it. I still remember the emptiness that I felt. I've listened to it a few times, um, before. But when you hear, you know, you, you, you and I have a, a different relationship because we, we know Mark. We don't know Officer yeah. Atkinson. I mean, I've been around Officer Atkinson. We used to, he used to take me up in North Phoenix because he was bored and we would cruise around at night in his police car <laughs> with the lights on just flying around because there was nothing to do in North Phoenix. But that's who Mark was. Mark wanted in the action. Mark wanted to be in the most difficult areas. He wanted to make a difference to the city of Phoenix and the citizens of Phoenix to help a situation that is growing worse every single day. That's who he was. And we know you and I were with that. You know, we, we understood that about him. This is this happened before Desert Storm. Um, no, after I was. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This happened after, but this was back um, before my mission. I just got my mission call, and I I I bumped into Mark. Uh, we had just you know happened to be talking out on tr- right by his house. Actually, I don't know where I was going at the time, but um, so we were just chatting, kind of catching up, and he was telling me he was entering the Marine Corps. And I was like, dude, what are you, why would you want to enter the Marine? I mean, he's, he's like this music guy. I mean, he plays a piano, plays a trumpet. I mean, the guy's fantastically ta- talented in terms of musical skills. And I mean, you guys were a little closer at the time than he and I were. I mean, we'd grown up together and, you know, taking piano lessons with the same piano teacher and our moms were friends and her, his mom worked at my dad's company and, you know, so there was a lot of interchange in the in the in the neighborhood, but you and in Brent or you Matt and uh, I I don't know I think he was pretty close to Sean too, um, but you guys were really tight at the time. But so this is kind of a get to know a little more about you know what his life was like at the moment, and so he was telling me he was going to the Marine Corps, and I was just like, wow. And then a year later, Desert Storm broke out. I was on my mission and I was thinking about where the heck is Mark? And he was in the middle of it, just like you were talking about. Um, 
was he on a Humvee or some sort of M2 Bradley in the middle of Kuwait, wasn't he, at the time? Do you he remember? He was in a sand hole. He <laughs> was, uh, was in an LAV in a sand hole. Um, did not get to fire his gun once. But I remember <laughs> two things I remember. First of all, when you're talking about when he was talking about going into Marines, he came back from boot camp. Came over. You know, we, I, we actually met him in Tooele after boot camp. He came in and, and we went over and saw him and stuff. Come on back. First thing he said to me, he says, Brent, I know 101 ways to kill a man. If you ever join the <laughs> Marines, I will use every one of them on you. I had no interest in joining any military at all whatsoever. But um, so in in the war, I remember he came back and he had all these camel cigarettes. I mean, like a lot (laughs) more than a grocery (laughs) store had, you know, and and I was like, what is this? He's like, like Brent, like these people, these soldiers for Iraq were so happy to see us. They didn't have anything to give us as thanks, so they gave us their camel cigarettes. <laughs> so, oh wow! He, he had all these packs of camel cigarettes that he had brought home, but you know, I I was thinking this morning, you know, b- before we started our our podcast, like what is one attribute that you would or that I would use to describe Mark? Yeah, what. I was going to ask you that, actually. It's <laughs> strange that you thought that. Mark was a friend to everybody. There was not a person that Mark was not a friend to. Whether you were white, black, red, brown, green, purple, orange, whether you liked men, women, men, men, women, women, dogs, animals, whatever. Mark liked everybody. And it 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 was a tremendous trait because... He was an alpha. I was an alpha. Alpha alphas typically don't get along too well. We had our buttons and stuff like that. He was, like you mentioned, musically inclined. I was athletic. Two polar opposites. But Mark made you feel like you were his very best friend, no matter who you were. And that is a tremendous attribute. And that's why he was so successful in the military. That's why he was so successful as a police officer because he literally cared about everybody. I remember that when I was in uh I, I moved into that neighborhood when I was in the fourth grade and he was the first one to reach out to me in that group that we grew up with. Yeah. And uh yeah, he just wanted to get to know me and um <laughs> we we're weird for fourth graders, but you know, it was pretty cool. And I felt pretty comfortable immediately with Mark and uh, his family. Yeah. Um, I, I can remember you know. a yellow rider moving truck pulling up and out of the passenger seat pops out this little seven-year-old kid. He was a little boy too. He's tiny with the whitest uh-huh. hair I've ever seen. Pure white, yeah. almost silver, wearing this straw cowboy hat. And (laughs) at that moment, you know, there, there was myself, I don't remember who else was there, but I just, that was the beginning, you know, (laughs) I'm here. This is where I live. This is home, you know? 
And Darren was the exact opposite in terms of the sports. He was the uh, athlete in that family, and yeah. Mark was the musician, wasn't it? So, yeah, I don't know. Is April is April play? Um, do you know? I'll have to ask her. I, so April, chime in. Let us know. But uh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, um, I was going to ask you, Brent. This is. <clears throat> I know each year you get pretty emotional this time of year. And um, I mean, I I understand it because I had a really close friend pass away a few years ago too. And it's the guy that you can tell everything to Um, the guy you can share. I mean, women have a lot of friends I've noticed in life, men, we have two or three. You know, the rest of us are, you know, everybody at work, you know, but it's really rare to have like a best friend other than who you're married to. And so um, what what do you do or how do you move through that when you're starting to feel those waves come when you're thinking about Mark? I mean, what, what kind of memories make you smile the most and help you get through it? Well, every year. uh Matt calls me, you know, we, okay. we talk, um, you know, and then we always end the phone call with a lovey bud. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Sean and I talk, you and I spoke. Um, I, I think we, we kind of have a unique friendship. Um, not a lot of people grow up together and then continue to maintain the type of relationship that we have, you know, we, we talked about sure. it on a couple episodes, how long you and I have known each other, how long we've known Sean, um, you know, you know, there's, there's, you know, Sean, there's Matt, there's, um, Curtis. Um, I've, I've known those three people my whole entire life. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm six months older than Matt. There's only six months that I have not known Matt. So six months, you know, there, there's three months difference between Sean and I, you know, I, I, and so it's unusual because so many people move around so often and, and then you lose track, but we never moved, you know, I mean, you moved in, um, but, but you didn't move out, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and so you moved in at a time when, you know, kids and stuff form relationships with people and, and we were able to maintain, you know, you and I have always remained close. Um, you know, we've, yeah. we've always talked yeah. throughout the years. I, I remember when we got down. In fact, I feel, I feel closer to you now than I actually did growing up. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it and, and it's because strange, we but... talk more now. You know, we, we have yeah. a lot more in common with families and, you know, experiences yeah. and stuff like that. I, I remember when, uh, let's see, Curtis and Paul and myself, we we drove down to Phoenix for everything that happened when, when it was happening. Um, we yeah. stopped. We saw Matt down in St. George, stayed the night with him, and then we continued on the next day. And I remember the first people that we saw was you and Glenn. You and Glenn were, were mm-hmm. you know, Glenn lived already in, in Phoenix, but you guys were already down there. And yeah, I, I just I remember you and him. I, you know, hugged each other, you know? Yeah. yeah and, it, was, uh, it was a tough moment. 
Yeah. And and then I, I don't know if you remember, but like, I mean, we were all there, you know, the, the whole neighborhood was there. Um, you know, the, Scott yeah. was there, his brother was there. And I, I don't know if you were with us, but after the funeral, after everything, we went to a sports bar in downtown Phoenix. And, uh, you know, we were having drinks, we were talking, we were sharing memories, we're playing some games. And then Curtis went over to a uh uh like a one of them games where you you it's the hoop game you know where you where you you know oh, shoot yeah. the ball anyway the the change thing was open <laughs> and oh, so no. we played all night long that that game <laughs> and <laughs> we just kind of knew that that was from mark you know <laughs> yeah. he he made that happen just to be with us, just so that we could have a moment of happiness in, in remembering who he was, what he was, and, and who we all were. And, you know, maybe that's a moment in our lives that's kind of been our glue to keep us together. You know, just kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a memory of, of our youth and growing up and you know, we're always going to be in each other's lives one way or another. I remember, I think the best camp I think that we ever went on was Zion's uh, with Kim and my dad. Um, And we had the whole crew and uh, you and Mark, I think we're in the same tent. And uh, I think, I don't know if I was with Glenn or not, but it was kind of funny though. The, uh, all the different stories that we had down there (laughs) and, uh, and that picture, in the uh, narrows, uh, yeah. all of us. I mean, it's a sandlot picture, right? Mm-hmm. And and th- if you want to see it, it's on our website and the group page on Facebook. But uh, every single one of us uh, that uh, grew up together, well, there were a few missing parties, but most of us were there. And uh, it's an iconic shot that I'll always remember. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea where. I mean, just think about it. Remember that morning walking through the narrows i mean if you could skip ahead 40 years hmm. is your life the way you would imagine it <laughs> no i don't think any of us could imagine anything that's going on right now i mean you're you're talking about a yeah. life before cell phones you're talking about a life before the internet you're talking about a yeah. life before you know vast news outlets you're you're talking about you know a, a life where like you you woke up in the morning and you read sunday comics you know i i remember going through the sports page in a newspaper and you know that's how you got <laughs> your your sports information you know um it, yeah it, it was a different type of, and my wife and i were talking about this just yesterday in fact it it felt like a difficult time but when you look at it now it was a much, much easier time. It was. There wasn't all was this pollution more... and stuff, you know, that that clouts everything. And I will say with, with social media, it's enabled us all to remain close. I, I will say that there are good points to that. But, you know, well, I mean, this conversation well, we have right now would be a long distance phone call, you know, in 1984, you know. <laughs> Well, the one thing, the one thing 
it kind of made me think for a second, even while you were just talking about how different it is now, is right before the podcast, I'd asked Brent for a video of Mark. And he's like, I don't have one, dude. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know of one either. Yeah. And usually I can go back in a Facebook video log and go back 10 years. But that's about as far as we can go. 10 years ago, everything's been recorded since on video, Instagram, Twitter, and like a podcast like this. But we don't have those memories videoed from 1990 or 80, 84. Yeah, it, you know, it's just it not. Pictures. Didn't do it. Yeah. And you, or your parents had the old film thing where they, you know. Oh, yeah. And there's no sound. Yeah. You, you'd, <laughs> you would take pictures and then you would take it to a a Kodak chroma, what is it, chromatone or whatever <laughs> booth. Yeah. You know, you drop yeah. it off. And boy, I remember it. it was like. Next J, it, it was like like the greatest coming when though when they had one hour photo development. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I could drop these yeah. off and pick them up in an hour and see my pictures. Oh, yeah, the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so technology has improved so much in such a little such a little time. It's almost scary. So they're talking in the future, and this is a. Uh, and I don't know how I feel about this. Avatars that have passed on, people that have passed on, that basically they take hours and hours of video and audio and they download it and then they create a AI version of you so that your family can memorialize you forever and ask you questions and talk to you. I That seems almost creepy to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not hip enough or tech savvy enough but i mean how do you feel about that that's you know earlier this week you you uh, put together <laughs> an audio clip um yeah. which in in the very beginning i thought this is really cool but then literally a second later i thought oh wow uh this is kind of frightening you know it, yeah. you, uh and and you know Carl sent me these audio clips where it's my voice saying that how a huge kittens fan I am sounded exactly like me. Um, same yep. tones, the same talking patterns, everything is as if it was. And, and I played it, you know, I, I played it for my wife. I played it for uh, friends at work and that look at me like, oh, what's the big deal? And I was like, I did not say this. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. I, I did not say this. And they looked at me. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of frightening. You know, and, and this, yeah. you know, obviously then if you can do this, it makes you start to wonder how much of everything we've heard has been done like this. You know, and, and, and now there's video yeah. AI, you know, where they can transpose you into videos and put you in situations. It's just. <sighs> yeah. You think the technology just came out last week? Yeah. No, <laughs> it's been or someone's had tech access to this for a long time. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, it's it's going to be more and more important. Now there are, you know, one thing you have to to look at though. Every time there's a huge change in technology, we get scared of it. It's normal. It's part of being human. You know, you're worried about the unknown, just like you're talking about. Uh, the problem, though, or the benefit of these technologies is like this podcast where we can communicate with one another, talk about our friend that passed away, 
20 years ago or how many years again? 20 99. So it would have been, this would be year 24, 24. Yeah. So, you know, we wouldn't have had this conversation. We wouldn't have been able to share this moment, these moments with anyone and in a way where it can reach as many people as it can today. And so, you know, I, I guess I'm putting a, a pause on being too scared of the technology you know, just more information, more input is needed. And then we can see where this goes from there. But certainly, certainly there is a pause and concern if you can completely make up someone's voice and, and likeness and, uh, and then record yeah. whatever you want with them. So let That's me, so let me anyway. ask you a question. Um, I know I, yeah. I, I shared with you the other day, the, the experience that, that it happened to me on that day, but kind of, I haven't heard from you about, the day that that you had found out, kind of explain to me, you know, how you found out, the emotions that you felt, and then some of the memories that you have of of going down there and and being around that event. Yeah, that's a it's a good question because you had a pretty interesting story too that Taylor's with that. Um, so, in the pattern in my life is from that old neighborhood. If I'm going to get any bad news. It's going to be from Glenn. So <laughs> I'll be on my phone and there's the 480 area code call. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I pick up and Glenn's like, um, you know, the previous few times it was his mom, you know, his grandmother passed away or, you know, someone died in the ward. And uh, I thought, well, okay, you know, hopefully it's, it's nothing too big, you know, too big here. And then he tells me, you know, Mark passed away. And I said, well, what happened? And he just said, he, he kind of gave me a, a short version of what you talked about. And uh, I was just floored. I mean, it was the first time anything happened to our age group, to someone in our group, our, you know, the group that we grew up with. Dave Gunn had died, but, I, you know, he was a few years older. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of shocked me. And, um, I know you two were really close. And so I immediately thought, well, you know, hopefully he's probably heard about it already, but I'm going to just give him a call just in case. And so, uh, you didn't pick up. So I left, you know, I think it was your Google voice number or something like that. No, we didn't have Google voice yeah, back then. Regular answer anyway, machine. I just left them. <laughs> yeah. I just left the message. Kids and, kids, uh, kids uh, a, a long time ago. We had <laughs> telephones just in our homes, and if we weren't there, we had what was called an answering machine, where you would leave yeah, a there message. Were no texts. <laughs> yeah, there were no texts. Sorry, folks. So um, I would have probably just texted you normally now, but uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe Brent hasn't heard. So I called, and you didn't pick up, and so left a message. And then you called me later, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so tell, tell, kind of go through, I think your story was a little better. What happened before you got the call? Because you had gotten a call from someone in your family twice, right? So my wife was, as I mentioned, she was pregnant with our our firstborn child, um, April, May, June. So she would have been seven months pregnant. She was, she was pretty she was there. (laughs) 
Anyway, <laughs> we were going go to California and see my grandma. Uh, my grandma lives in, in Northern California. And we had left uh, late after work and um, we were driving across Nevada and we got to El- I, and I just, I, I kept having this feeling. I went past Wells, just had this feeling you, you should not keep going. You should not keep going. But, it, you know, we just kept going and stuff. Didn't think anything about it. And, and finally, when we got to Elko, it, it was just so strong. And, and I turned to my wife and I said, hey, I have a really strong feeling that we should stay the night here and then go back to Salt Lake. And she goes, it, I mean, is it because I'm pregnant? Because I'm fine. I'm comfortable. And I said, no, no, I just I, I just have a feeling that we need to stay here and then go back to Salt Lake. And so we spent the night in Elko, Nevada, um, mm-hmm. a beautiful town, a great tourist Absolutely. destination. <laughs> we ate dinner, <laughs> played some cards and, you know, table and stuff like that. And then um, we headed back to Salt Lake the next morning. Um, it's about a, I guess about a 200 mile drive. I think that's fair to say. So back in those days, yes, we had a cell phone, but you had what was called roaming. So once you left a major metropolitan area, you really had no phone service whatsoever. Um, right. I remember we got back to Tooele and that's where we had phone service. And there were a bunch of messages from my mom saying, Brent, I need you to call me. And there's another one. Hey, Brent, when you get this, please call me. And then another one. Hey, when you when you get this, I need you to call me. Something's happened. Well, I have no idea what's happened. So I'm getting pretty nervous. So I, I call her. She doesn't pick up. Call her again. She doesn't pick up. So I call my my sister and um, I said, hey, uh mom left me these messages to call her, you know, what's up? And she goes, are you home? And I said, no, I'm not home. And she goes, Brent, I need you Uh to go home. And then if you don't hear from mom, call me. And now I'm in a panic. And I am glad that she said that, obviously, because to hear that kind of news when you're driving would not be a good situation. So (laughs) there's Carl. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, uh, I, I, I get home. My answering machine is lit up. I mean, there's, I don't know how, 20 plus messages on there. And the, I, I hit the answering machine, you know, and, and the very first message was your message. And it says, hey, Brent, I just found out what happened to Mark. I'm so sorry. I, I know you guys were close. Um, it's so tragic, you know, that, you know, something along those. I don't remember the exact message, but I got the gist of what it was. And I, right. I just remember I just, I fell to the ground. I just... My knees, yeah. my legs gave out. I dropped to the ground and just started, you know, crying. And, and, and my wife come running in. She's, she says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, Mark's gone. And uh, she goes, what happened? Yeah. And, and I said, I, I don't know. I, I, I just know Mark's gone. And, you know, like, and then the, I, like the messages kept going, you know, I, I don't remember any other message. I, I honestly don't. Um, I don't really remember anything else. Um, but you know, I, uh, I talked to my mom and then, um, I said, uh, and, and then I, I called Curtis and I said, uh, we gotta go, we gotta go see Rita. That's Mark's mom. And so he says, all right, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll meet you over there. 
And so we both drove down. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of people from the ward, obviously, there. But I, I remember, um, uh, you have to understand that at the Atkinsons, at the Bachelors, at the Morels, I never knocked on a door. <laughs> they never just walked yeah, in. Yeah, I just walked in because it was always home, you know? Um, even being 29 mm-hmm. years or 28 years old and ha- being married and having a family of my own, just walk. So I just remember I just walked in, you know, and, and there was April. Um, I think Darren was up there. I, I don't remember every, anybody was that was, I don't remember everybody, but I just remember running over and, and hugging Mark's mom. And, and she obviously, like any mother would be, just absolutely oh, heartbroken that, heartbroken that her son was gone. She, she, you know, she kept saying, you know, how could it be? How can it be? You know, and we stayed there for a few hours, stayed there for quite some time, you know, being with her. And, and then um, I remember my wife said, as we were driving back, she says, you need to go down there. And I was like, you know, I, I, we can't, you know, you're pregnant. She's like, no, not, not me, you, you need to go down there. And so literally at that moment, you know, Paul came over, Curtis came over, and we left right then. It was middle of the night, and we drove down. and we Right there? Yeah, we, wow. we stayed the night at, at Matt's. Um, and then the next morning, you know, that was in St. George. And then uh, the next morning we got up early, and, and we drove down. But I remember us crying a lot, you know, as expected, sharing a lot of stories, a lot of disbelief and then we went straight to mark's house when we got there um opened the door and saw karen strong as could be i mean what a what a courageous woman you know she came over gave us all a hug she'd never met uh curtis before she never met well she met paul at his wedding but um yeah and then, uh, you know, she told us about the memorial that was going to, the, the vigil that was going to be going on. And we all headed over there. And that's where we saw you and, and Glenn. And um, yeah. Yeah. I just got there barely. Not, and then Glenn and I headed over to the, to the uh, memorial right, right at the, right when I, right after I got in town. So yeah. Yeah. It was the first time I'd been to Phoenix and, uh, all I could remember is smelling those orange blossoms. Like, wow, this place is amazing. Yeah, and then uh, during spring training and, and then, baseball, you know, <laughs> was, yeah. <laughs> Before COVID, I'd been down there on a yearly basis to see Glenn and Sean. So I need to start that back up again. But um, yeah, there's some good memories, man. And that's you know tying it all back to what's happened in Nashville. I mean, that's the one thing about. Um, you know, about these victims of the shooting. Um, it's happened so suddenly you don't get a chance to say goodbye. Right. Um, the only goodbyes you have are the memories that you have with them that you share with them. And, you know, luckily for you and luckily for the rest of us, we do have some great memories of Mark, you know, I mean, was he perfect? No, but the guy was, the guy would have enriched our lives for many, many years if he would have 
made it past that day. Yeah. And uh, it's a tra- it's it's sad that he's not a part of our lives today. I I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I can remember he'd be funny to have on a podcast. <laughs> I I can remember um, our last phone call. You know, I, I I still remember his his voice, but it was a week before, and we were talking. We were. We're talking about he was getting ready to go to Mexico with his wife on a on a trip. Um, he had the the newborn, you know, six month old child. But you know, we were talking about my wife being pregnant, getting ready for for my firstborn child, and you know, it, you know, he he wasn't there for that. You know, yeah, he, he wasn't there for for my second born. He wasn't there for my third born. He wasn't there to you know have countless visits and and um that's something that will forever be missing from from our lives or those memories that we could have continued to have it was taken from us well you know there's no way to prove it but hopefully uh hopefully he has been there and you know i believe that and um, I believe those people who have moved on still care about what's going on down here. Maybe, maybe not on a daily basis, but the big moments, I hope they get to see those and uh, we can talk about it later on. So in fact, it's about time to go later on for me. My voice is about, I had it, <laughs> it looks like a beautiful day out in your neck of the woods. Um, it's dark and rainy where I'm at. Rain? So no snow. Having, yeah. <laughs> It's still snowing, man. We're going to float right down the river. (laughs) I mean, the Colorado River, here we come, wait, pal. (laughs) There's 800, dude, there's 800 inches of snow. That's insane. It's the first time ever I saw, the first time that there has ever been two ski resorts with over 800 inches of snow in Utah. It's incredible. It's insane. It's, It's worse than 83. Oh my goodness! And you know what eighty three was like? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's be about eighty three here today. So, <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks, Brent. Thanks for the memories, and uh, look forward to picking it up next week. So, thanks for gutting it out yeah, with thanks. that voice of yours, buddy. <laughs> actually, didn't sound yeah. too bad, but um, you get yourself feeling better oh. next week. I will. And thanks, thanks again to our audience. Those uh those few and loyal, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll we'll catch you next week. All right, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Three Dad Bods podcast. Let your friends know we're on Spotify and Apple, and don't miss an episode. Rock on.